and gentlemen, welcome back to Smug Mode, a podcast where we talk about the British sci-fi comedy classic Red Dwarf. I'm Ben Gilman, as always, I'm joined by Tom Hill. Hey. And Dan Rudge. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's correct. And Troy Salmon can't join us today. He was, uh, he walked off because a siren was trying to make him believe that there were charm fans that would like to have sex with him. We do <laughs> apologise. He might be back in a few weeks. Yeah. Chip, chip, boom. How are you guys doing? <laughs> not too bad, man. Not too bad. Yeah. Uh, it's on. too good, isn't it? I had to use it. I'm sorry. This isn't a syndrome, but I had to use that intro. Um, so, today, we are here to discuss the start of season six, which is by, considered by many the best season. Um, episode one, Sirens? The Sirens? Yeah. The Sirens. Smug Mode is now engaged. So this episode is uh, 200 years after investigating the Esperanto, the Red Dwarf crew awakes from suspended animation. They set out to find Red Dwarf, which has vanished without a trace on board Starbug. They stumble upon an asteroid field containing lost spaceships inhabited by Spirans. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Genetic engineered alien creatures that Tefapalaki um, telepathically... Oh, Fuck it. Lure the, sh- the ship's crew <laughs> into the asteroids to suck out their brains. Telepathically. Yeah. Telepathically. My mouth says English. Telepathically. Yeah. <laughs> or prophetically, in the case of my English technique today. <laughs> so, what did you guys think of this episode? <laughs> Professionalism. Oh, yes. Oh boy! Just thinking about the idea of telepathy now being <laughs> like, a, like, a like I don't give a fuck what you think. <laughs> oh dear, I oh dear. They could, they, I'm sure there's an app in that, something that pre-think that seems to always think of what you're doing before it happens and tells you what's going to happen. Telepathy. I don't know. Anyway, um, back to Red Dwarf. Want to hire us? We are available. <laughs> so, this is the season because season five was a big increase in numbers. Did mm. you notice how they basically explain the show to people? I noticed this, and then I checked the facts. Obviously, due to the huge increase that Red Dwarf was getting at this time. There was a very, it felt like it was a pilot again, like to introduce the, the templates of all the characters again. A little bit, but I, did, I didn't feel like it was kind of <clears throat> shoving it down your throats. It was, a, for people who Subtle. knew what the show was, it was a nice reminder. Yeah. And for people who were new to it, it was a quick induction that gave you enough of a description of the characters to get you up and running with it basically mm, 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 also mm. because like in the actual story the things which happened before this episode didn't happen on a tv show they happened in a webcomic mm. which was called prelude to nanarchy okay yes um <laughs> i have noticed um this got to be the season where Red Dwarf is on the run now, right? Because I've made the mistake a few times where Red Dwarf has quote-unquote gone, and I know somewhere before season seven, 
they lose the Red Dwarf. This is the start of it, right? This, this is, is where they start so basically, it for two years. Basically, between season five and season six, Red Dwarf has gone missing. Yeah. Now, I can't remember when it happens. It's later on than this. It's the SSS Branto. Yeah. But, but no, but it's late. No, but it's later than this. They they give a bigger explanation of what happened. It was on the day that they met the Despair Squid that the Red Dwarf went missing. Yeah. So when they got onto Starbug to go and look at the Esperanto, that was when Red Dwarf got nicked. Mm. It was at that point. <laughs> so. I just, I can I just be honest with you? I love the sound of um, when Lister wakes up from. Um, oh, it says Rimmer. No, it's Lister, isn't it? Sorry, I for some reason put Rimmer. Um, his na- Lister's nails make when he wakes up. Lovely noise. Um, <laughs> using a pencil sharpener to cut them is made made me laugh. Yeah. Um, cornflakes of raw onion, distilled vindaloo sauce. Um, um, it's a miracle Lister doesn't run for the hills when he finds out how disgusting he normally is, where he's got amnesia. Wouldn't you be what worried else? about remembering who you were before? Yeah, but as is shown in the next scene, once his memory does come back, he completely forgets that he thought that way about the way he was feeling. That's what I love about it. Um, we get another... I have a question. Go on. Um... She's coming, Kachansky's coming. Oh, yeah, so... How do I say this? Is it the same actress who's Kachansky? Yes, this was, Cla- this was Claire Grogan. This is season one. And season two. Yeah. So Claire Grogan um, came back for this episode. Why it's actually the first back- time... Go on. Why could they get it back for season three? Season seven's what I want to know. Well, ba- well basic... So basically... This is the first time that the character of Kachansky has appeared in Red Dwarf since I think it's um, Stasis Leak in season two. So this yeah. is the first time they got they just decided to write the character out and then bring her back. Partly because if you're going to have an episode where creatures are going after your basic basis desires, Lister's basis desire is Kachansky. It always has been. So yeah. it made sense for her to come back. I'm wondering whether them, this was them putting a toe in the water to see about bringing back the character. The reason she didn't come back in season seven, and it still really fucking annoys me, is that they decided that Claire Grogan was too old. And it's not, and it's not going to annoy me as much as Chloe Everett doing it. So let me tell you that, mate. She is fucking awful. I'm sorry. I can't wait to smash her and she's well, verbally speaking. Sorry, but <laughs> she's Dan, she's a, she's a siren. She's a siren. Yeah, I know, but I mean the hey, woman that ends up playing Kachansky, I really hate her in season eight and seven, so seven and eight. when we get there. Yeah. That one. So when we get there, I'm just not gonna hold back in my hate on her. She's not as bad as I remember her being. But Claire Grogan would have been better. Yes, that's why when you see what we could have had, it does. Also, on top of that, just on a personal thing, a fucking Scottish actress, any Scottish actress, would have been better. Yeah. Sorry, just ran over. Anyway. Oh, you're getting all fucking brave out there, aren't you? 
Right, so... Not, we are not there yet. We are talking about this talk one. About so... that there, right? What? I just want to, make, I want to make a note, just because we are talking about that scene. The uh, Captain Tao. Yeah, Anita Dobson. Uh, the name of... I believe the captain from the American Red Dwarf pilot. Anita Dobson is the wow. wife of Ryan May, yep. who approached to be Lister's hands for a guitar solo. Yes. And he couldn't do it, but Anita Dobson could, yeah. <laughs> it's in my notes. Well, excellent. It's in everyone's notes then. Yep. <laughs> Brilliant. No, it's good insight. I appreciate it. It's good when you guys do it for me. I don't have to speak so much. Um, do you know who actually did do the hands for for that guitar? No, no, no. He, solo? He, he wasn't able to. Um... He was a lead guitarist with Roxy Music. Was ah. the guy who did it? That's pretty cool. Um, Phil Manzanaro. Ah. Ah, so Brian May was giving Anita Dobson one, was he, at the time? Oh, interesting, yeah. I've just seen that. Brian yeah. May is still married. Married to. to. <laughs> oh, he's still, still giving together. her one. That's good, that's good, good man. Yeah, yes, right. if, you, if the one you're talking <laughs> about is a wedding ring. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd so imagine he he's given it. her thousands at this point. <laughs> well, it says here, their boyfriend, so I'm just going with it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> welcome back to Red Dwarf. Um, so, turning underwear inside out, does that actually work? Uh, can't say I've ever tried it, but... Uh, me neither. I don't know, maybe? <laughs> okay. I doubt so... it for three weeks, though. Yeah, but who would normally wear <laughs> underwear for three weeks continuously? Yeah, no, no, no friend of mine. Um, Basically, I, I um one of the big classic scenes for that a lot of people remember is the Rimarb startup sequence to get him out of hypersleep. Oh, um, that, you know the charisma in his little finger. I yeah. knew it was coming. Still brilliant. Um, Even when you know it's coming, it's still funny as hell. But I laughed harder at Lister's being now told. We find out that this has now been told if he has to play the guitar, he has to go outside into space to play it. That made me roar. That I forgot about that. <laughs> oh dear. No. <laughs> no, I, I am. Um, I like the the new feel this season. It is. It's mm. a lot slicker. Um, the story takes. A lot more precedence. It feels yeah. it feels a lot less sitcommy and a lot more sci-fi. Yeah, and it but... actually feels like they don't run out of episodes and they don't like they know all the way. There's an overarching arc going on now for the next couple of years to find Red Dwarf, and I like that. It's something I'll bring up next week, but I do love like the fact that there's an ongoing. This is where the show starts to bring up its past a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this. Yeah. yeah I mean, the... Go on, go on, Dan. 
for the things that uh, actually go on in the episode, like they are just for those who haven't seen it, they're trying to catch up to Red Dwarf. They know that Red Dwarf's out there. They know roughly where Red Dwarf is. They're following its trail. And the impetus for this episode itself is they've all been woken up specifically because they have a chance to get the jump on Red Dwarf by going through an asteroid belt that the giant ship of Red Dwarf couldn't manage to do so. Mm. While they're doing this, they happen upon a graveyard of ships, including a Klingon yeah. ship. Klingon, Klingon uh, battle cruiser, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a ship from Alien. That's right. And a ship from Space 1999. Yes. Yeah. But just as a quick aside, it is now canon that not only is Red Dwarf set in the same universe as Doctor Who, it's now also set in the same universe as Alien, Space 1999, and Star Trek. Yeah, true mm. enough. I think they were just put in there for a laugh, but yeah, true enough. Um, I love the cat saying, and I will say this now, Chris Barry almost shook down the lens of the camera when he replies. It's really quick. Which point? Um, oh, the yeah, there's an old, and he replies that there's an old uh, human proverb. And that, <laughs> that's the point where he almost looks down the lens and quickly catches himself. Whoever heard of him in run. Yeah. A line ripped directly from the American pilot as well. Oh boy, we're never doing that, by the way. We're never doing the American pilot. We've been asked. We're not doing it. No. no. We quite clearly, at the beginning of every single episode, we are talking about the British sci fi classic, Red Dwarf. Not any dodgy spin offs. Not the American garbage fire dump known as the Red Dwarf pilot. No. Um, but, um, <clears throat> uh, when they're doing the asteroid thing, I did laugh because all of a sudden one of the asteroids farts out fire and it looked like it was farting. Don't know why I put that in my notes. It just made me laugh. Um, Crichton has been prepared for this asteroid by, like, you know, the whole preparation thing with the rubbish cubes and everything. Mm -hmm. That's a good bit. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, hook, line, and a copy of the Angling Times is a good... Hook, line, sinker, rod, and copy oh, of Angling of Times. Angling Times. <laughs> of course, this also has the line that this entire series is named after. We're getting to that. Um, <laughs> I would say somebody badly needed a pen made me laugh. Um, <laughs> with like, you don't see it, but the description of the person yeah, writing out message. Sirens in his own intestinal tract on the floor, yeah. <laughs> I've got a question for you, though. There is one question. It's Ben's question of the week. Go on. That's bugging him. Why is the fat black, the fat guy in the black box eating a burger when he's in danger? Because he's a fat git. And possibly because he knows it's his last chance to eat a burger. I okay. don't know. I, I think the whole point of him having um, actually, it is so that he can do the joke about the... you, you knocked all the ketchup out of my burger when everyone thinks that it's blood. I think uh, that's probably the whole reason for it is a very cheap setup. Um, okay. That scene um, is cut quite drastically. The deleted parts of that scene that ended up on the cutting room floor, um, that character actually got a much longer monologue. Mm. Oh, yeah. So there might have been some stuff to do with that as well that 
So I just as an idea. Um, I do love the rumors faint. Um, I can't remember what he faints, but it's really funny. What? What he faints? Yeah, he drops backwards, doesn't he? At one point. I'm trying to remember that. I don't remember that off the top of my head. What makes him faint? I can't remember. Aren't I doing well today? Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's I... it. That's the point. That 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 oh. is the point when it happens. Is your man the captain, and then the? Oh yes. Thank you, Dan. That's why we don't pay you any money. But then again, we don't get any money either. Um, so if anyone would that's like why to we start would pay you money, the big that bucks. That would be awesome. We're going to have a Patreon. We're going to get that one. <laughs> I, I wish. Cat is. Um, I do like the thing where they try to. The first thing they try and do is the sirens to get, um, cat, uh, to get the crew. They try and get cat. Yeah, you heard him. They need speed seat seats, brothers. You guys deal with the siren thing. I'll deal with this. <laughs> but I do love how um, he basically doesn't fall for it. He catches himself. Even the brunette. <laughs> That's it. Um, oh yeah, Sanity FM made me laugh. Um, Tune into Sanity FM, yeah. <laughs> Um, smug mode, finally, because Crichton gets it right. Ah, ah smug. smug mode. <laughs> yes. Also, and Dan will attest before, to this. Before one that bit, right? Before yeah. that bit, though, it's that bit where um, the asteroid suggests we maintain course. The asteroid does not exist. Suppose that you're wrong. Sir, I'll stake my reputation on it. You don't Crichton, have a reputation. You don't have a no, but I'm hoping to acquire one from this escapade. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Followed by just the, ah, smug mode. Uh, well, I can't no. stand around all day. <laughs> Saving your necks all day, I guess I'll make a start on that iron. <laughs> but, um, this also has a line that Dan will have heard me quote probably a billion times while we were at university, which is, it's as plain as a Bulgarian pinup. <laughs> Deteran Corduroy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, in general, this is a good episode. I mean, I love, I love the bit, the way they manage to catch out the the siren when it pretends to be a Lister. Mm. I think that's absolutely brilliant. The idea that he goes, all right, it's read his mind, therefore, it will have read his deluded belief that he can play the guitar. <laughs> Um, I, I will do say want... the first time that I saw it, this one, um, that one trick was something that as soon as they were both in, I went, oh, this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> see, I didn't see it coming. I was like, well, how did uh, I watch this? It had been foretold enough by his, the axe god cometh. Yeah, the axe man is back. <laughs> yeah, no, um... no. Looking back on it now, I can see that they they made a point of setting up the guitar thing. But at the time, uh, I went, oh, that's genius. <laughs> no, I love how they come back. They, they actually set things up early and come back to it. Um, yeah. I just want to point out one bit where Lister is kissing the... Um, Craig Charles kept complaining about never having any romantic liaisons. <laughs> so Chris Barry was, you know, Chris... 
Barry was smothered in oil, um, got a girlfriend in hollow ship. So he deliberately made him kiss the siren this episode. And then next episode, uh, next season, he'll be, end up with a gay snog between Lister and Rimmer. So that's quite funny. I just Both just because Craig Charles was being a little prissy bitch about the fact that he didn't get enough attractive women to kiss on the TV show. <laughs> that's it. Love it. And it is quite disgusting. Um, Although the woman who plays the siren when it's not being a siren when it is pretty attractive. Okay. I'm a married man, so I cannot possibly comment. Um, no, 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 you can't I... comment on whether someone is attractive. <laughs> All women are ugly, except for my wife and my eyes. No, I'm joking. That's a bullshit line. The opinions um, of Ben Gilman are not necessarily the opinions. That's not true. That's <laughs> not true. But but for 1994, all right, yeah, okay. Um, so <laughs> I want to know if I can imagine what the TV woman from Channel 27 was doing with her pointy stick. Yes, I think um, we all can imagine what the TV woman was doing. Very her. good, very good. Um, it's always funny when they don't show it, I think. Yes. That's one thing Red Dwarf is very good at. Just a description, right? Um, I mean, the thing, one thing I do love about this episode is the fact that they managed to get Jenny Agatha to do a cameo. That's true. Because I think that's probably the biggest name they'd ever got to work with them on this show. Yeah, that is true. Um, and I, does, love Jen- it... I love Jenny Agatha. I think she's um, she's an amazing actress. Mm. I mean, American I think... Werewolf in London is a fucking stone-cold classic. Yeah, yeah. She's brilliant Absolutely. in that. Um, um, but apparently she was absolutely terrified. They were all like in awe of meeting her, and she was properly bricking it about doing that one scene. she They had to do quite a few takes because she was really nervous because she was a huge Red Dwarf fan. Mm. So she was massively nervous about coming on the show and they were massively nervous about meeting Jenny Agatha. Um, is that the scientist? That's the uh, uh, yeah. Crichton's creator. Oh, yeah, because what I do love is that bites that siren on the arse coming back in. That makes me laugh so hard. Um, so um, I just want to say I don't know what's worse, Lister eating his toenails or Craig Charles can do that I don't know which <laughs> habit is worse, or how Craig Charles found out he could eat his own toenails um, I do find it funny though that the siren, it's very clever, um, because of Lister's mind thinks he can play the guitar the siren gets found out because there's two Listers and um you know, they blast away the right one. That's always funny. We keep coming back to Lister thinks he's good at guitar. Yeah. Um, and now I do that at the end. Crichton was a coffee table. Uh, see, that leads to my biggest pet peeve of this episode. What's that? Right, so, and this is going to come up in a later date. In fact, it'll be the end of season seven where you discuss this more fully. So, Crichton has been obviously trash compacted, which has then worked in his favour to take out the siren. And he's now this little square box, but he's supposed to go and get himself fixed, which he obviously has done before episode two. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that get that fixes him are his nanobots. And we discover at the end of season seven that they abandoned him and stole red dwarf. So how did he get repaired? If his nanobots weren't there, good point. Yeah, just a pet peeve, little thing, really doesn't matter in the greater scheme of things. 
But that is one of those occasions where they've obviously not, they've come up with an idea of how they were going to bring Red Dwarf back in a season's time and not thought about the little loopholes that it leaves in their own timeline. But yeah, sorry, that was just my pet peeve. Yeah, but it's always fun to do the pet peeve, as I <laughs> as you well know. Um, so, anything else? Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much where we are. It's it's a solid episode. It's it's funny. a really good. It's funny. Yeah. As as a, as an as an it opener is. to a series, it's a top notch way to go. You can't fault it. It does enough of a recap of who people are for new viewers to not be lost. Oh, I just want to say I'm almost annoyed by Crichton was quite funny. I'm almost annoyed. But oh. It's almost like, a, almost like a Buddhist way of saying I'm almost annoyed. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, the, um... I, before, before I forget, this series has also got Rimmer trying to use the Space Corps directives, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. So you forget about Space Corps Directive 1742. No member yeah. of the Corps should ever report for duty wearing a ginger toupee. Well, I'm not sure uh, how that's appropriate, essential, sir. But... Essential core directive. Absolutely essential. Mm. <laughs> but I, yeah. I'd also like to say um, uh, this this series, um, the critics didn't like it as much. Well, they're fucking stupid. Well, it's it's because it became more of a sci-fi. It, it lost some of its red dwarfishness. They were like, I it's guess. so funny, but it was better when it was fresher and more raw and stuff like yeah. that. And like, yeah, that's but true Red of a lot Wars of TV shows. The last, sir, this old baby's crashed more times than his ZX81. <laughs> 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 um, but next week or so, also, I think they really have stepped up the um, the space school directives. You know what I mean? They, there's some smashes next week, but we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So anyway, it's goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. Goodbye for me. Good start. Now smeg off you smegheads. <laughs>